on today's episode who is the dreamer i'm nodding in silent lucidity and nietzsche teaches us about the conceptual origins of the soul yeah yeah i would say i'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas yeah Yeah. What's my thesis? I'm Seth Lauer. And this is Javier Proenza. We're Los Angeles-based artists who meet every week to share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldviews through research and ask, what's my thesis? It's pretty exciting. We just launched... I actually don't want to talk about this all of a <laughs> <laughs> Now I feel We're pretentious. pretty excited, but by the way, I don't really feel like talking about this. Yeah, well, we just went to uh, an event together. It was Our friend Bryce was showing his work, which is really fun, on a rooftop in... What canyon was that? Beachwood? Beachwood. Beachwood right. Canyon. Which was really nice because you could see the Hollywood sign. It was this dude that just moved out here from New York. He was bashful about taking tourist pictures, touristy pictures of the Hollywood sign and stuff. And I was like, nah, dude, like we're all (laughs) in awe of this location. We're all taking that picture too. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to talk about is that today was the first time like we we've been working on this actually since May, since Cinco de Mayo of last year this episode yes this particular (laughs) (laughs) there is this is like uh time travel on this episode so just mind you but i'm gonna do this on the other ones like a modern day intro not necessarily unless we feel like we really need to talk about trump i I would say or or like you know like if the apocalypse happens (laughs) maybe we should address it well, if that happens, we should. <laughs> like, we I should. don't want us to just release an esoteric episode after the next 9-11 happens. <laughs> uh, today we're talking egg corns. <laughs> what? <laughs> but, but we also need to let the last man on earth know where we are. Yes. So that, you know, we can procreate with him. Yeah, which is where Albuquerque Nature finds a way. Wait, what? <laughs> Albuquerque. <laughs> Okay, so the uh, there was another thing that was weird about the experience. We showed up at the same time. Oh. Do you want me to tell my part of that? <laughs> okay, yeah, you can talk. <laughs> There's this other podcast that I've been really into called uh, Radio Lab. <laughs> no, you <It's>, cannot. <laughs> Sorry, I'm cutting you off. Show. That's it, we're going to leave this in, and I'm cutting you off. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Wait, you knew that's what I was going to say, right? No. <laughs> so I was driving, you know, up through these uh, hilly streets on my way to Hollywood. The topic today on Radio Lab was about the chances of two or three people coming together all on the same street at the same moment. Like they're each in their own cars or on their own bikes or whatever. And call it a coincidence or whatever. They all come together at that moment. Mm. What are the chances of that? I don't really think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's that weird. I didn't get to the point of the story. But right when I heard that. (laughs) That's that's how you listen to me. (laughs) Who was to show up in my rear view mirror, but co-host. I was in your rear view? Yeah, I saw you you following me. Oh, I wasn't following you. First of all, <laughs> I was behind you. <laughs> Did you even know that was me? No, I, I didn't know. Well, yeah, I had no idea until I saw you try to climb the route or I saw you walking because we parked differently. I parked right next to the house and I you parked were down the hill. And so by the time I got to the ladder, he was already on the roof. Of the yeah. Building. Yeah. He I'm here. Right. Right here. You. Yeah. <laughs> you there. <laughs> you don't have to point. <laughs> you can just say you. <laughs> don't overcompensate. I was going to say, I got to a fork in the road. <laughs> and I kind of hesitated. 
where I almost went downhill, but then I, you know, I was listening to the phone directions too. And so then I had to turn <gasps> was off that you? Was that now you remember? That was that you around the. I was the asshole. Who was you weren't an asshole. I didn't honk. <laughs> but I was wondering if you. I I knew I knew. only didn't honk because you knew it was me at that point. No, okay. I just I'm not a dick. All right. I, I, I was I like, if here's what, here's what my thought process was. I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then when I came my turn, I was like, oh, okay. He was confused. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't honk. <laughs> That's so hilarious that you were, that it was you. Uh, serendipity, I think yeah. is what that's called. What is the metaphor there? Let's okay. not, let, let's, right. let's let listeners write to us and tell us. Which is surprising that we have. <laughs> That's sort of the that point of this why, checking in yeah, is that is, is that we are really surprised that more than like five people listen to this shit. experience of lucid dreaming let's do an exercise great from okay. the book okay we're going to talk about what the experience of lucid dreaming is like and i just want i'm going to take you through somewhat of a guided meditation so you gotta yeah. you gotta just focus in it's gonna be me reading for a little bit all right in my beautiful reading voice take a few minutes <laughs> <laughs> all right Take a few minutes now to observe your present state of awareness. Notice the richly varied and vivid impressions harvested by your visual sense alone. The shapes in my bedroom. (laughs) The colors, the movement of my hand, and the dimensionality of the space. Register next the various sounds taken in by your ears. The creaking of the chair you're sitting in that we need to get a new chair so that we can record and not make noises. Uh, there's a diverse range. Listen to that sound. I'm going to do it my creaking while you're turning. Oh, motherfucker. And wreak havoc on the pan by doing this. That's not going to happen. <laughs> the mic doesn't pick up what side you're on. <laughs> what side of it you're on. Okay. A diverse range of intensities, pitches, and tonal qualities. With me, it's one really loud. Perhaps, including the commonplace miracle of speech or the wonder of music. Which, my voice is musical, so that encompasses both. Observe the experiential dimensions uniquely afforded by each of your senses. Taste. Smell. And touch. Stop laughing. <laughs> Get into it, Seth. Experience it. This is like a fucking real life meditation. Dude, I'm sitting outside your bathroom. <laughs> Continued introspection in this manner reveals yourself to be contained within and oddly enough, always at the center of a multifaceted universe of sensory experience. Also note the subtle but essential difference the process of reflection has contributed to your experience. Not only are you aware of all the sensory impressions just surveyed, but you can also, if you try, be aware that you are noticing these things. Don't nod, Seth. They can't hear you. I noticed. (laughs) Normally, awareness focuses on objects outside ourselves, but sometimes it turns in on itself. Consciousness is what allows you to act most freely and flexibly. With habitual action... We can only do what we have already learned, but with consciously directed, intentional action, we are free to do things we have never done before. This is what being lucid in your dreams is like, except the world around you would rearrange and transform itself, including the dream characters in it. Impossible things might well happen. If you were able to own the dream as yours, you would see it all as your own creation. This would imply that you were responsible for what is happening and control it. You might fly or face someone you've been avoiding. You may choose an erotic encounter with the most desirable partner you can imagine. Hasselhoff. 
or visit a dead loved one or seek self-knowledge and wisdom in your dreams. The possibilities are endless. So basically he's talking about self-mastery here. The dream is self-mastery, which relates to the positive sense of freedom, which deals with self-mastery. The positive sense of freedom is, well, I have more on that a little bit later. It is important to have a goal, something you want to do next time you have a lucid dream. Although the particulars of lucid dreaming content vary tremendously, there are certain characteristics of lucid dreams that would apply to most and perhaps all of them. Who is the dreamer, Seth? When someone's having a dream, who's the dreamer? The You're wrong. <laughs> who's the dreamer? Who is the lucid dreamer? Is it the person we seem to be in the dream? You're That's wrong. What I was gonna say. Or the person who is actually asleep and dreaming. You're wrong. <laughs> you can speak. You're wrong. <laughs> is there a third option? Is there No, actually someone else in the room? The build up for this is way too much. You're kidding me. It is the first option. No, it's not. All right. <clears throat> The first option is the the person who's dreaming in the dream. We'll get back to that in a second. The sleeper seems like an obvious choice because his brain is doing the dreaming. What's the problem there, though? The problem is it's impossible to be dreaming and actively doing things at the same time. Oh, fuck. You were so goddamn close. <laughs> You were really like only until that last like <laughs> subordinate the clause. Is it's impossible to be dreaming and Where's the where's the sleeper? Mm, I mean, where's the sleeper? Passed out in the bathroom. <laughs> okay. On a bed, let's say. <laughs> Don't tell people too much about yourself. Okay. Okay, passed out in the bed. Is that inside the dream? Only if it's lucid. No. You try no I see what you're trying to do, Seth. <laughs> but no. <laughs> and I am wagging my finger at you. <laughs> no. So they are not sleepers. They are not in the dream. They're in bed sleeping. Sleepers belong to the external world. Dreamers belong to the internal reality. We cannot see who, how, or what they're dreaming. The dream body is often who we think we are while we're dreaming. But we are only dreaming that we are that person. Okay. It's just a representation of ourselves. Mm -hmm. LaBerge calls this the dream ego. The point of view of the dream ego is that of the participant contained within the world, the dream, much as you are the participant in your world now. But there are dreams without a dream ego where you play a passive role and only witness the events of the dream as audience member. This dream observer is not contained by the dream proper. The dreamer is a composite figure, partly dream ego and partly dream observer. You can watch people interact as an observer, but if you identify strongly enough with a dream character, you will become them. You need to have a balance between... This is where the dream ego... So you weren't entirely wrong when you were talking about who you are in the dream, but that is very fluid. And so what they're talk what he's talking about is to be a successful lucid dreamer you need to have both the observer the detachment to be an observer and to take enough of a step back to look at your at your situation and recognize it as not reality because if you get too emotionally involved in the dream you identify too much with the the role you're playing mm -hmm. and it's hard to recognize that you are playing a role mm -hmm. So the lucid dream, what he says is that the lucid dream is essentially in the dream, but not of it. It requires detached participation. And then another interesting point relating to those, and here's where we're getting to point of view and perspective. LeBurge finds that even though he has dreams where he is an observer, in none of these has he ever become lucid. And remember, he keeps a detailed record of over 900 dreams. So this is not just him speculating so he says that in only three cases, while I was playing a role other than Stephen LaBerge, when I realized I was dreaming, 
In one dream, he was a disembodied beam of light. In another, a magic set of china. And in the third, he was Mozart, but only until he became lucid. Then he was LaBerge playing Mozart. So hmm. there also has to be some level of being embodied in the dream ego before he can actually become lucid. Okay. And he has a lot of... He speaks with a lot of qualifiers about his experience not necessarily being the definitive one. He just happens to be one person of many onironauts, onironauts who have spent this much time on the thing. Because it is not easy. It is a discipline. Mm-hmm. So... While you need to be embodied, detachment is also necessary to allow the dreamer to back off from the dream ego role enough to recognize that it is all a dream. So you need that detachment to sort of recognize that you are making this thing. So you can't be fully in the, you can't be fully detached and you can't be fully involved in the role you're playing. Otherwise, you will start to rationalize things as we will discuss in a second. But the dreamer possesses at least two distinct levels of awareness. In my own dreams, I have sometimes found the emergence of this dual awareness perplexing. He first has the thought that if he were to become lucid, he would realize he was dreaming, then he becomes aware that he is dreaming. And we'll see this come up again, where it's this pre-lucidity that is sort of a crucial point to becoming lucid where you question your reality and then you start to ask the question and in some cases people get the answer wrong and they assume, and then and they answer like oh no i'm not dreaming <laughs> and so we'll get into why that happens so then we talk about cognitive functions and this is still within that science stuff that science stuff you know that stuff they call science mm-hmm. at best lucid dreamers can reason clearly remember freely and act as they wish upon reflection. But they don't always have these mental faculties available to them. There are degrees to lucidity, and likely only experienced lucid dreamers function at a level comparable to their better moments while awake. Flawed reasoning is common while in the dream state. For example, Saint-Denis wrote that he experienced great difficulty remembering that characters in his dreams were not actually real people sharing his experiences. He told a story of admiring a splendid panorama with his friend. He said to his friend that he understood that it was a dream, but asked his friend to remember the dream so that they could talk about it the next day when they awoke. So just those are it's a really subtle like mm-hmm. sort of assumption that happens to you while you're dreaming. So even though like I, I would say that on the spectrum of clarity, the most experienced dreamers can have it. And I've never, I, I have had some experience with lucid dreaming. I've never gotten to that level. I'll talk a, a little bit as we get into techniques for lucid dreaming about my own experiences. More commonly, dreamers are confused and recognize that they're imagining the other characters in the dream, but forget that they themselves are also not really the person they are dreaming they are. So you'll look at the people in your dream and be like, oh, this is all bullshit. These aren't real people. I'm imagining them. But then you will forget that you yourself are imagined because you're not Hmm. actually playing yourself. Lucid dreamers know that it's all made up and can remember things about the waking world like where they were sleeping. And while there are individual differences in what mental abilities are available to people in the dream state, they tend to approach those available to the individual while awake. This goes into, we're going to get into critical thinking and how that is a parallel, right? We are both people that have taken the time to learn critical thinking, how to think. We've been instructed by professors how to approach thinking. We've looked at old, uh, like, thinkers. And I think, and that's kind of one of the things that we celebrate by doing all this research is the idea of let's really think critically about the ideas we have and the explore and expand element of it. And so that applies to dreaming as well. You need to develop the same dream, the same, the skills, the critical thinking skills require requisite of being able to question your reality when you're in the dream state mm-hmm. are similar in the need to be developed. Like in it, you need to learn how to dream in the same way that we have learned how to think to really get into this. Okay. 
This may be a little off topic, but is there anything to indicate that there might actually be some long-term downsides to lucid dreaming? Like if you were, if you had like full um, agency to lucid dream as much as you wanted, Mm -hmm. do you think that you would have any problems related to that i mean because there is some kind of like therapeutic qualities of dreams that might be lost when you have okay when you have if you imagine that you hone your ability so much that you actually can control your dreams just so lucid dreamers have a hard time controlling other dream characters and it's a similar thing to when There's a correction from last episode that I want to make is that he in last episode, I said that when you try to read something, it all becomes confused. What he actually says is that he's read books before in dreams, but not in lucid dreams. When he needs to voluntarily generate the text, he can't. But when it's all part of the uh, fluidity of dreams, so he actually uses, he says that the most reliable way to check for lucidity is if you pick up a book, you read a passage, and then you look away, and then you try to read it again, and if it stays the same, you know you're not dreaming. But if it doesn't, it is hard to do it, and it's hard to keep it consistent. And so, like I said controlling other people and he brags about it as a benefit because that's like what would you actually learn from interacting with your dreams if in your dreams you had full control over everything the only thing you actually have control are your decisions and your control over like for example you can fly and shit like that and you're you, so you have some faculties but for example if we go back to last episode where he talked about his dream about the barbarian where he came across a barbarian and it made him very nervous and so that barbarian what he determined was that that barbarian reflected something about himself that he did not like about himself or something that made him comfortable and that he needed to confront and once he confronted it the barbarian i forget what happened i don't know if it turned into like a puppy but it might as well for our purposes of this explanation Mm. so he didn't actually have the control to turn that barbarian into a puppy the barbarian turned into a puppy because he had took on the decision to confront the actual thing that was causing him anxiety. But they warn against that in lucid dreams. If you want to stay lucid, you don't necessarily want to have the most intense emotional experience when you're a beginner. As you get more experience, then you can handle it. But intense emotional activity what it does, what it tends to do is reabsorb you into the dream. So if you identify too much with one character, even if you're the observer and you see a character and you start to identify, then you can become that character. Mm -hmm. And now you're not a dream observer, you're a dream ego. And from there, if you identify with another character, you might. So it's a very fluid state of reality. It's also interesting how, like, because I don't, in trying to understand what this other state of being is, there are words that you sort of use and you realize, oh, I'm also describing the waking state, right? Sort of this awareness, like the, 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 the two awarenesses that are perplexing to him, the awareness, the, the sort of the intuitive knowledge that he's dreaming. It's a very interesting space. So basically to answer your question it's still your mind and your expectations really define what happens. For example, the question of control. The actions of lucid dreamers vary over the same range as in complexity as they do when they are awake. 
Some are reflective, as when we keep our balance walking in dreams. Others are instinctive, fleeing to safety. Others are habitual, when we continue driving to work even though we know we are dreaming that's a habitual habit so we so sometimes you'll even become lucid and you'll be driving to work but you just keep driving to work and so you know you're dreaming <laughs> and you're like this shit i'm about to do in five minutes <laughs> when the alarm goes off i'm still yeah. doing so there is it is a uh, even though like that's where it gets crazy because Let's go to motivation and expectation, and then we can come back to this. There are four levels of motivation that, it can, that can affect what happens in dreams, lucid or not. There are drives, which, for example, motivate us to dream we are in the bathroom peeing when we have to, or drinking water when we're thirsty. We've all had that dream. We're just like, water, water, water. Or the, the even worse one, which is when you have to pee and you just like, at some point you become lucid that you're going to have to wake up. <laughs> but yeah. you don't want, or you become pre-lucid of what's happening. It happens to me a lot. Yeah, where you're just like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to wake up. <laughs> this isn't working. Yeah. There, there's something needs to happen. Yeah, so so that that's, that's that. Uh, then there are desires. Like when we hook up with a starlet in our dreams, right? Like when we want something. Then is expectations, which are characteristic of the habitual level of our behavior. And I think that with that, what he's talking about there is if your behavior is habitual, in life, that's the driving thing, right? Hmm. You keep driving to work because it's a habit. Yeah. And then the next is ideals and goals are deliberate by nature. We can only follow them if we are conscious. So it's only in lucid dreams that we can act in accordance with our ideals. And what does that sound like again? Positive freedom, self-mastery. It isn't until we master ourselves that we can live in line with our ideals instead of negative freedom. So this is like having done the Isaiah Berlin episode, it's really interesting to sort of just have that in my arsenal of like, does this fall under this and this fall under this? And the subtleties of this self-mastery talk are things that I would not have noticed if I hadn't done, if I hadn't read two mm-hmm. concepts of Liberty. Mm-hmm. I really like the more distance I get from the research of that episode, the, the more fascinated I am by how essentially defining that distinction is. And, uh, and like he's like Berlin says, it is what wars were fought over. it's that clash it's that value pluralism and that's where that comes from the idea of those i mean it comes from other things for him i'm sure he's a human he's a well-formed human being that had many experiences but as far as i can i can see those are very clearly a part of that Mm -hmm. since most of our behavior is habitual and not deliberate expectations exert a stronger influence than ideals on our dreams as well as the rest of our lives. So that goes to the question you were asking. How much control do you actually have? Well, how much self-mastery do you actually have? How self-aware? And I think that that sort of deals, that, that gets into the more experienced lucid dreamers, and we'll get into some yogis in a bit. The expectations guiding us through our working state also govern our non-lucid dreams. We assume in both cases we are awake, and so our perceptions are distorted to fit this assumption. And he describes this experiment that's not related to dreaming, where they showed flashes of a card to somebody, but they were not, like, of a playing card, but they were not quite right. So, for example, it was a red nine of spades instead of a red nine of hearts. But when they showed people that, their brains rationalized it, made the adjustments, and they saw, oh, they know, their expectations was, well, there's no red spade. And so they filled in that gap. And the longer time, the the more time they gave them, to read the card, to see the card, the more accurate they became. Okay. 
But did people go more in one direction than the other? What you, uh, I uh, remembering it as a heart, or remembering it as being? I think the the more time they were given, the more accurate they were able to be in recognizing the fraudulent card. Yeah. So the fraudulent card, the faster it was. So like, there's a a spade of uh, a nine of spades, that's red, and they mm-hmm. flash it to you. Your brain just takes out the stem and makes it a heart. And ta- actually, it takes out the stem and flips it around. So that's how much work your brain does to fit into the expectations you but have it, of what a playing card looks like. Wouldn't it be easier just to change it from red to black? But I'm just wondering if that happened with anywhere near the frequency of... No. Really? No, because the... And, and that's what the exercise show. That's what the experiment shows, the power of that expectation. Mm. People have been programmed to expect a card that is red to be hearts that that's similar in shape to a spades is, is going to mm-hmm. be a heart instead yeah. of a spade. And they'll even go through the effort. And so that's how, and so he uses that as an example of how we rationalize weird shit happening mm-hmm. in our dreams. Okay. When weird stuff happens in our, in dreams, we assimilate them into what we consider possible. Expectations exert a lot of influence over what happens in dreams. He uses the four minute mile as an example for a long time. People thought that shit was impossible. There was just no way that anybody could mm-hmm. run the four-minute mile. And then somebody did, mm-hmm. and then people started to do it more and more. Yeah. And so that's like an expectational barrier that people had in the waking state. And it's a very similar thing to what happens in dreams. He also notes that it is only in lucid dreams that reading becomes impossible. Oh, we already talked about that. Writing is being produced by voluntary intention. He says that he's had non-lucid dreams where he he's read successfully. Uh, the actions of lucid dreamers... So we're getting into control here. The actions of lucid dreamers vary over the same range in complexity as they do when they are awake. The list of reflective actions, instinctive actions, habitual actions and deliberate actions are all listed in order from most unconscious and automatic to most conscious and voluntary. Again, that self-mastery thing. The higher the level we act, the more freedom we have. Freedom in the negative sense means don't invade my space. Freedom in the positive sense means I am not burdened by my limitations Mm -hmm. as a human being my neuroses to achieve what i want to be that's a very paring down but it applies for here but freedom means choice and we don't always want to have to choose and we often choose the same thing anyway which goes into your question of control a lot of times it's involuntary because you can't you can yeah. choose yourself as a dream ego to take a different action, mm-hmm. but half of the shit we do in life is involuntary. Yeah. The experienced lucid dreamer is able to exercise as much free choice while dreaming as they do while awake. Which mm-hmm. is cool. How much control is possible depends on a few factors. Experience, emotional maturity while awake, and the assumptions the dreamer has about the level of control available. So if you assume you're not going to be able to have any control, you're not going to have any control. Mm-hmm. Tibetans claim that masters of lucid dream yoga can do anything in their dreams, but control over other dream characters seems to be limited. Control over the self or dream ego, on the other hand, is much more attainable. The choices made and the actions taken are all controlled by the lucid dreamer. And he advises much how it seems like you might, that lucid dreamers should control yourselves, not your dreams, which is more self-mastery talk. Emotional qualities of lucid dreaming. Euphoric excitement can wake a lucid dreamer up. Mm -hmm. But lucid dreams are actually pretty when you realize you're dreaming you get pretty excited so there that there is like a paradox there with experience you can get that mastered it's also important like as i noted to avoid conflict at first once you have experience you can deal with you can confront the barbarian but Mm -hmm. if it's your first lucid dream 
probably not a good idea because you might get reabsorbed into the dream and lose lucidity. So that might be a situation. If it's your first lucid dream and you come across a big scary guy, it might be a good idea to run away if you want to keep lucid. I mean, regardless of being lucid, I would always choose to run away from... Really? Barbarian. Really? When you? Seth. In a dream? In a dream? No. Really? Like, like yeah. if you oh, I'd be like if you weren't lucid. If I weren't lucid. If you lucid, didn't know it was a dream. I'd like to think I mean shit. <laughs> <laughs> Depends how big. <laughs> Depends what that big monster represents. If I'm ready to deal with it. Hmm. Okay. In real world I'd fucking run. <laughs> yeah. Tried to figure out what a barbarian is, really. Like where does that come from? I just picture Conan. Okay. Barbarians are, I think, uh, I think there were some in, I think the Anglo-Saxons were generally, before they became the Anglo-Saxons and they were just the Saxons and the Anglos. Uh (laughs) Okay. They were, uh, let's research that before we put it out. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. All right. In general, the lucid dream seems to be more perceptually vivid than non-lucid dreams. Lucid dreaming is the union of two elements, dreaming and consciousness. Lucid dreaming can be initiated in two ways. A person is dreaming and consciousness is added, or a person is conscious and dreaming is added. That means that you can either become lucid while you're dreaming, or you can be conscious and fall asleep while staying conscious and i've actually done that and it's pretty fucking crazy really and yeah and so if you want to take that route and try to do it like that i would suggest as laberge does which is where i got the suggestion that you do try to do it while you're taking a nap so if you're going to take a nap your dream cycle, you're going to you're gonna get into that dream state a lot quicker. And so you'll be able to have, and your dream state is going to, your REM period is going to be a lot longer. Whereas if you try to do it at nighttime, you're going to have, you're going to, it's, it takes a good amount of time to get into that first REM period from, from like nighttime sleep. Mm-hmm. So what you'll likely have, which I've also done is have, dreamlets where they're like you're 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 falling asleep you sense your body you feel you, you there's like a little bit of a fireworks show happening in your eye like on, behind your eyelids in your eyes you're seeing like little gold and like you know little flecky things and then you'll have these little non-rem dreamlets where you have like three or four second dreams where you're having where you're lucid for and then it's back to non-rem thing uh but if you take a nap you have a better chance of actually get staying conscious long enough to get or uh you get into the dream state fast enough that it's easier to maintain consciousness while you're falling asleep it's Mm. fucking crazy it really is like this is this is, uh, it's crazy to stay conscious as you feel yourself falling asleep. It's well, crazy. remember what was happening and what your response was to it? I just f- was very relaxed. And then I woke up from that state and it felt like, and I felt rested. Huh. So there is sort of the question that I think comes up sometimes whether it's restful to be conscious in your sleep and 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 i having been through the process of doing that and being someone that's very much attached to his sleep especially i was a teenager at the time i was doing this so you know like your sleep patterns are very intense and very you're much more nocturnal when you're going through that period yeah this is what's fascinating to me, and this is one of the things that this book has really informed my my worldview on, is this idea of perception 
and how long you can stay conscious and what consciousness is and what self-awareness is and all of these things. When you're 17 and you read this book, it kind of <laughs> has an impact on you, mm-hmm. right? In in learning. And then also at the time I was reading like Eastern philosophy and stuff like that. So I was all also in it that this was a in the um in the self-development era of my voice as an artist all of this idea of consciousness was very and perception was very much uh relevant to me Mm -hmm. um dream first consciousness second is the most common whether it's gradual or sudden Mm -hmm. what i was talking about is a little bit more difficult and again I only did it for a little while. I don't still do that. And at the time, we've talked about my dad making me meditate, I think, on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was meditating. Do you think so, that helped a little bit? Oh, with, fuck yeah. yeah. There's a discipline involved there. That, mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that in some ways, I may have been more emotion, emotionally mature than, than I am now. <laughs> but I think that's the story of Sid Arthur, right? So I don't feel too bad about it. All right. For inexperienced dreamers, lucidity is most likely to come from a nightmare or an anxiety dream. Other intense emotions like embarrassment or delight are also commonly associated with the onset of lucidity. But for most dreamers, recognizing anomaly, inconsistency, or plain weirdness is what leads to lucidity. So let's go back to uh, pre-lucidity which we discuss, which is when dreamers question the state that they're in, pre-lucid dreamers often conclude that they couldn't be dreaming because everything seems so vividly real. Or they pinch themselves, which often does not wake up the dreamer, but produces a convincing sensation of being pinched. Basically, comparing how vivid your dream is to how vivid reality is, is not an effective way of telling if you're dreaming that's not an effective way of becoming lucid because as we've talked in depth at this point lucid dreams you can come you can feel shit so pinching yourself or saying this feels so real is not reliable what's more reliable is anomaly noticing that oh um there's an intern here. <laughs> that would be weird, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be. That would be very strange. Dreams are not easily distinguishable from waking life based on vividness of experience. It is better to observe for instability of the dream world for cues that you are dreaming. Charles McCreary points out that while awake, we never doubt whether we are awake or not. So if we're asking the question, am I dreaming? You probably are. Memory cues from similar dreams are also useful triggers, which is to say like, oh, didn't I dream? Didn't I have a dream like this one time? And then that is your cue. I was like, oh, I'm probably dreaming again. During the moment before full lucidity, and this is fun, and this comes into the duality, like back into that perplexing duality of consciousness. During the moment before full lucidity, uh, LaBerge has reflected, too bad this isn't a dream, in which case it would be a dream. Or, this proves this can happen in waking life as well as in dreaming. And, if this were a dream, I would be dreaming. In most lucid dreams, by the time I explicitly realize I am dreaming, I already seem to be implicitly aware of that, of my state. Which... It's sort of like, it goes to that conditions of being uh, um, detached and present. He talks about how, about trying to figure out how to stay in the lucid dream state. And one of the things that he tried to do was, at first, he tried to relax himself, thinking that relaxing himself physically in the... um, in the physical realm would help him stay in the dream. Then he realized that the opposite is true because if the more relaxed his dream body becomes, 
the more he starts to wake up and feel his the, he's the more he starts to take sensory input from the outside world so this is a, a technique that i have used myself and also works if you start to if you are having a lucid dream and you start to get too excited spin what you do is you spin your body around and this will sort of give you enough sensory information from within the dream world to block out the sensory information from the real world and you'll be able to stay in the dream. Somehow I feel like trying to spin in a dream is a little bit like trying to run when you're in the water. Yeah, but if you did that, you would still feel the water and that's the point. Hmm. So it's not... And again... It doesn't always work for me. There have been times where I'm like, where I feel myself trying to spin my actual body. (laughs) (laughs) But then again, sometimes you don't know. That's the tricky thing about the dream state, right? You don't necessarily know if you're actually awake. One of of the more, there's the termination of the dream state, which is uh, lucid dreams and when you are reabsorbed into the dream and forget that you're dreaming or you wake up or you enter non-REM sleep, but a lot of times you think you've woken up and that's how you get reabsorbed into the dream. Hmm. So it, it going back into the, the, pre, the, not premature ejaculation, nocturnal emissions, right? A lot of times when your brain tells you that you've had an org, or when you dream that you've had an orgasm and then the signals are going to your body and it's not happening, your brain interprets that as it actually happens because there is that expectation going back into expectation, right? Mm -hmm. You expect that if you dream, if you are aware, let's say you're lucid in a dream and you're like, oh, I'm having sex and you assume that you're going to come, it makes sense that you are wake up having a fake nocturnal emission and then you wake up. And that's a very common thing. The false awakening, there are accounts of people having... 11 false awakenings in one night and then becoming lucid and realizing like, oh, I'm not actually awake. I just, and a lot of times it's just you waking up in your own bed, which is why it's so convincing. Mm -hmm. But lucid dreamers also have the ability to know where they, when they're in their dream state, they have the ability to know where they actually are. So if I fall asleep here and I become lucid, I would know that I am in my bedroom and you're sitting next to me. <laughs> but anyway, here so just like I'm not really going to get in too much depth into um how to do lucid dreaming. A lot of it involves dream recall. And so if you really want to get into it, there's like plenty of resources on this. What I, the reason I want to talk about dream recall specifically is because you have to be able to remember your dreams to begin with. So that's why journaling your dreams helps. Mm -hmm. If you wake up and you can't remember your dream, how the fuck do you know if you were lucid at all? So all of this is an exercise in becoming more present. So Mm -hmm. like journaling but journaling specifically about your dreams. And what he recommends is the second you wake up, take out a pen and paper, don't move. Don't do anything that might distract you from trying to remember that dream because Mm -hmm. there is, it is a difficult thing to do and just stay there. Uh, Get a sense of how you feel. Try to think about what you were last thinking about. And those things will help you unlock it. And slowly you'll get little chips and little pieces. And the more you do that, the more the more time you spend exercising that the more you'll have you, the better you'll get at it but also the more dream cues you will have because you'll start to see things that are recurring for you right you pro, you, you you'll start to see things based on your psychology that will recur and will become dream cues where you you're like oh I tend to dream about clowns. Me too. The, no, I don't. But I'm just using that as an example. That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> I would never want to be in your dreams. <laughs> Which brings us to our next thing. 
he proposes, and this these are the last two chapters, um, which I didn't want to get too into because I'm more interested in sort of exploring. There's a lot more uh, talk about out-of-body experiences and things like that that I think are interesting, but the end result is just him saying, like, they're probably dreams. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, but the thing, the phenomenon that is interesting, and I do want to talk about, is the mutual dreaming phenomenon, which is there are people that report having had, having like that guy that uh, we talked about earlier, who was like, oh, remind me to talk to you about this dream tomorrow when I see you in person. There are people that have actually had a shared dream experience. That's crazy. And so. And I, well, I've had shared a very similar dream with someone. With who? In the same night? Yeah. What? Okay, so all right, so this isn't like just fucking out of, out of nowhere. Like, but, no, but it we tell it me. wasn't the thing. I don't remember what the dream was about. Although I probably wrote it down. Um, but it wasn't like we agreed in the dream to report the next mm-hmm. day. We were just talking randomly, and then we were like, "Wait, whoa!" That's really? that's that's exactly how he describes this. Okay. So. <clears throat> what he suggests and there's really and this is a suggestion and I want to give him credit for being diligent in saying what is what is backable cuz he is very thorough in that he ta- he speaks when he when he uh theorizes and gets philosophical he calls it out he's not like oh okay this is like he's very I, I am very clear on what is science and what isn't science uh-huh. uh, about what I've said but he talks about that and he says that he describes the dream, uh, the, the phenomena of uh, mutual dreaming in detail. I'm not going to share those dreams, uh, but the one thing that is interesting is he talks about a study that was done unrelated to lucid dreaming where someone sat in a room with images and looked at those images and tried to telepathically send them to a person in the dream lab all wired up and and um, trying to send the dreamer the 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 guy looking at the images trying to send the dream the images to the dreamer and it's debatable how effective it was i i wish i had taking the time to really write it down but I didn't because it's more fun to talk about it without actually having <laughs> the actual account Okay, because the actual account was like the way that he phrased it was like oh we had a separate person uh, do the analysis of this but when I'm like but it's very much like oh he was looking at a Christian image and he thought about the cross and that kind of like, and that's not to say it's invalid, but I just didn't want to type it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't feel confident enough <laughs> in the validity of that to really write it out. Okay. And since my main focus has been on the science of this whole book, mm-hmm. I felt it was appropriate to qualify it. But when I was 17, it was pretty exciting. <laughs> the idea of like, oh shit, people's brains can be connected. And I'm not necessarily poo-pooing the whole idea, but I don't want to put our what's my thesis stamp <laughs> on like, oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> but here's what I do think that we can end the episode on and I feel pretty good about. Um, and this is, what's that? We should get a stamp. We should get a stamp. That's <laughs> What's my thesis stamp of approval? We could do it. Um, we'd have to be very sparing with it though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and this is, I feel like sort of the realm of what we we like to get into, but this is a quote for, a quote from Nietzsche. Okay, and it is in the ages 
of the rude beginning of culture, man believed that he was discovering a second real world in dreams. And here is the origin of all metaphysics. <coughs> My lungs. <laughs> Without dreams, mankind would never have had occasion to invent such a division of the world. The parting of soul and body goes also with this way of interpreting dreams. Likewise, the idea of a soul's apparitional body, whence all belief in ghosts comes from, and apparently too in gods. I felt like I needed to put comes from. That's not Nishi. <laughs> but I transcribed it wrong. Um, and the question is, would we believe in souls the way we do if not for dreaming? And that's, I guess, what he's positing. Mm -hmm. This idea that if we didn't have this other realm that was so fucking vivid yeah. that we believed it existed, hmm. how much of that plays into that? And that's not LaBerge, that's Nishi. Hmm. So we can actually really ponder that uh -huh. with some depth because yeah. was it, oh, was it, no, it was, who was it that you were reading on the Kindle in episode one? On the Kindle. That you were oh, like, that didn't Nabokov. have Nabokov, yeah. Nietzsche, Nabokov, and names. Here's a game. Can you spell Nietzsche without looking at it? And I. Fuck, I didn't write it down, so I can't confirm. <laughs> Go. N I. I guess I'm right. N I E T Z C A G? Nope. I thought you said you didn't write it down. I did. I found it. Damn. How do you spell Nabokov? You can win that one. Uh, no, it, it, I. the reason I asked is because I knew you would get it wrong because it's fucking weird. It's N-I-E-Z-S-C-H-E. -E. And if yeah. I got, and if I typed that wrong, you can send all emails to Seth because he's the <laughs> one who transcribed this episode. But yeah, I do think that that's interesting. Like uh, that that Nietzsche quote is interesting in terms of we really in terms of like his LeBerge's whole approach to the dream world, which is like we really don't give this shit enough credence. But if we really think about yeah, that that is actually the most likely candidate for us believing in the idea of a soul. This you have a you have a dream where you lift up out of the out of your body. You have this vividly experiential experience. Maybe you even forget it's a dream and you just call it an out of body experience. Hmm. Seth is nodding. Um I was going to go somewhere with it. Uh, I forgot where. Home. <laughs> like the episode is over. Uh, what was I going to say? I feel like it was important. <laughs> <laughs> what was I going to say? I feel like it was important. <laughs> yeah, the soul. The soul coming from the dreams. You're on a podcast, by the way. <laughs> uh, I lost it. The soul coming from the dream. I was going to suggest an alternative option. Oh, that the soul comes from the dick? Damn. You obviously everybody. haven't heard me play my new guitar pedal. That's where the soul comes from? Yeah, from my... Penile strain gauge. <laughs> Expression pedal. <laughs> Dude, you're going to see that shit at NAM next year. And NAM is, uh, it's where they, all the new music gear comes out. Hmm. It was just in LA. I think there have been movies with a similar scenario. Not a guitar, but. Oh, can you imagine if you controlled a person with your dick? <laughs> Like it was a voodoo like doll and you Atari had to stab character? it? <laughs> we went different ways. Like an Atari character. <laughs> Mine got dark. You can tell I've been listening to true crime. 
<laughs> Don't worry, this is never going to become a true crime podcast. <laughs> that darkness will remain inside me and will only surface. <laughs> That's my, what's my thesis guarantee? <laughs> will only surface in situation. that. Yeah. Uh. Hey guys, if you had fun, feel like you learned something, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe, all of that really helps us. We're at What's My Thesis at Javier Proenza and at Seth Lauer on Instagram.